Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Reverend Metchie, my name is Terry McHugh, part of the pastoral team, and as Pastor Chip has shared, we're into three weeks talking about God with us, and today, God with us in surrender. And we're going to be taking a look at a case study in, in just a couple of minutes. But as we are in our churches at home, and going back to really how the church started in the book of Acts, I want to tell you a story about a guy named Antonius. He lived towards the end of the first century, probably in, lived in the Rome, he was a convert to Christianity. He had uh, converted when he was about 17. He had grown up in the Jewish faith. And as a consequence, as for many, he was estranged from his family. He lost his employment. And he had, but he had been a Christian and he was at his home. And it wasn't, he couldn't afford much. It was kind of a dingy place. There were leaks. There were roaches. And he was eating a solitary meal and he was feeling a little discouraged. He was part of a house church, but he hadn't been in a couple of weeks. Just gotten worn down. He'd emotionally drained. There was persecution happening in the church and there hadn't been any martyrs yet. But it was just wearing on the churches. And as he sat by himself, he was thinking and he was having doubts. And he wasn't alone. There were others in, the, in those other house churches that were feeling doubts. They had said, we thought we would always feel this joy in the presence of God, but has Jesus abandoned us? Has he left us? Does he hear our prayers? They thought their joy would never end. And yet these times of discouragement had come. And so some people had even left the church. They doubted. But Antonius didn't give up. And he felt kind of a stirring, even though he hadn't been to his house church for a couple of weeks, that maybe he should go tonight. He'd heard that one of the leaders in the church had said that there was a new writing coming from the east. And so he made his way to his house church, and the atmosphere was kind of dull. You could sense the discouragement in the room. But he went in, he said hi to his people, and eventually the leader came in, and he was a man about 75 years old, his name was Joseph, and he was carrying a scroll. And he said, I was just with all the other leaders of the other house churches, and we're going to be the first ones, the very first ones to hear this word. And this is what he heard. This is what we call from the book of Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, 
and through whom he also made the universe. Can you imagine what erupted in that room? Those discouraged people in their isolation, in their fear, in uncertain times. Imagine what it was like to have that word come through. You know, today we've shared this statistic. The Barner Research Group says that one in three active Christians has not been in church during the pandemic. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters who are feeling that discouragement that they would come, they would come back to, to God's house, wherever that house is, and be part of that. We need to reach out to one another and be together. And you may be asking, where's all the peace and joy I signed up for when I became a Christian? Be patient. It's coming. And so we're going to read today from some verses from chapter 11 of that same book that encouraged Antonius and his fellow friends. From chapter 11, verses 8 through 16. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he'd been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old. And Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, you got to see the humor in this. Descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these, and he's referring to all the other great saints, the men and women of faith that are talked about in this passage in Hebrews, which is really the great roll call of faith. Without having received the promises, but from a distance, they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. Don't you, my friends? That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. That is good news. That is really good news. And we need to hear that. And we're going to look at Abraham. It's really the biggest case study here in Hebrews in what it looks like to trust God and follow God in uncertain times. And in Abraham, his name, he started off as Abram. His wife, Sarah, started off as Sarai. And as the scripture alluded to, they had not had children. They were elderly. And God comes to them and he calls them. And hear these words from Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went. That's crazy. He went. He didn't know where he was going. He left his home. He left his family. He left his country. And he just went, and he didn't know where he was going. And he just set out not knowing where he was going. And it took... It was years before he knew where he was going, just wandering wherever God led him. 
You might say, how on earth could he do that? How could he do that? And he was going without knowing. And he didn't need to know where he was going because God was guiding him. He was going by faith. He was going by faith. And he knew, even though God said, get out of your security, get out of your safety, and I'm not going to tell you where you're going. He was able to do that because he knew that he couldn't trust his circumstances. If your well-being depends on your circumstances, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be decimated. You're going to be going up and down and, and never know where you are. But Abraham knew not to lean on that. I love the story Henry Nouwen tells in one of his books, a great spiritual writer and priest, about a Chinese farmer. This farmer had just one horse, and one day it broke through the fence and it ran away. And so some of his neighbors came over and they said, oh, commiserating. You lost your horse right at the beginning of planting time. What bad luck. And the farmer says, good luck, bad luck, who can say? And so then, a few days later, the horse came back bringing two or more horses with him. And so the neighbors came back again and they said, oh my gosh, you have such good luck, you're a rich man. And he said, good luck, bad luck, who can say? And then the, his son, his only son, took one of the horses for, for a ride in the next couple of days and he had an accident, he broke his leg. So the guys came over and they said, oh, what terrible luck, your only son, he's not going to be able to help you plant the field. And the farmer says, good luck, bad luck, who can say? The next day, the emperor came through town conscripting the eldest sons in every family. And his son was not able to go because of his injury. And the neighbors came over to him and they said, oh my gosh, what incredible luck that your son doesn't have to go to war. And again, the farmer says, good luck, bad luck, who can say? He understood that you can't lean on your circumstances alone and that you can't judge what they mean. We're always trying to figure it out. Like, well, this happened, it must mean that. Well, we don't have a long enough vision to know how to, how to look. And so when we come at life this way, depending on our circumstances, we're always striving. We're afraid to make a commitment. We're just, you know, should I go this way, that way? Is it good luck? Is it bad luck? What does it mean? But Abraham knew different. And so did the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. I don't know if I want to hug Paul or if I want to punch him when he says that. Rejoice in all circumstances? That's crazy talk. But that's what, that's what Abraham, like Paul, knew. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't mean you don't suffer. Abraham suffered, Paul suffered, Jesus suffered, we suffer. A lot of you are suffering now in ways you never imagined. But we have to see with Abraham that it's when we are looking at God and putting our faith in God and not in our circumstances. That's what frees us in order to live in, in times that, that are so uncertain. And so we need to not come to God for what he can do for us, how he can fix our lives, how he can change our circumstances. When we ask that question, it's the wrong question. And if we try to get God to work for us, it's never going to work. But ironically, if we come to God to know him, if we come to the Bible, is it true? If we come to Jesus, is he real? Yeah. If we come to the Holy Spirit, can I experience you? Then 
Christianity will work. But we have to seek first. The Bible says that we have to seek, if we are trying to lift up ourselves, we'll never find ourselves. We have to give ourselves away. We have to learn to, to not try to seek our own benefit, but live towards others. So, so Abraham, Abraham teaches us about going without knowing. But there's also, he teaches us about going with a sense of direction. Now, there is a lot of irony, anybody who knows me, that I am talking about a sense of direction because guess what? I don't have one. And I have spent uh, times driving aimlessly with Pastor Chip if we're going to an event or a meeting. There have been times when my husband Joe has had to give me turn-by-turn directions. I moved to Ohio to be a sales rep, and I was traveling three weeks a year. This was before GPS. I had to use maps. And I'd stop at a gas station to get directions. And, you know, some kind person would say, oh, just go here. You know, turn left at the signpost and turn right at, you know, this gas station. And they'll say, you won't miss it. I'm like, oh, crap, I'm going to miss it. But fortunately, this is not that kind of sense of direction. This is a very different kind of sense of direction. Did you hear it? It said for he looked forward. He looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. The Bible says you're made to look forward. You're made to travel hopefully. You have to have an overarching goal. And The Bible says without vision, the people perish. We need vision. We've been working with our Vision 2020 team. It's an incredible group, and we've been sharing that we're centered around as we widen the circle of connecting diverse people who share a common brokenness with Jesus. And we need to, we need to know. We, we, we know that there's a yearning in us. And it says, going back to Hebrews 11 and 15 and 16, that they desire a better country, a heavenly one. And there's something in us that longs for that, that longs for a better country, that longs for heaven, that longs for the kingdom of God. C.S. Lewis says that if there are things that no earthly things can satisfy, if I have desires that no earthly things can satisfy, that tells me that I was designed for another world. St. Augustine famously said that God designed us, made us for himself, and our hearts are restless until they find themselves in him. And so we are designed for that. And Abraham and the other great men and women desired that better country. They were looking forward. And because they knew where they were going ultimately, they didn't have to know where they were going immediately. That's why Abraham could be going without knowing, because he had a sense of direction that was bigger than that gas station on the right. It was, he could see ahead, and so he could endure the uncertainty and the circumstances that he was in. The Bible tells us that the kingdom of God will come. Jesus says that it is already here, but it's also not yet. The kingdom is coming. That's why we have to pray, if we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And yet the Bible shows us in Revelation that ultimately there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we need to work for the kingdom And it gives us a sense of direction. We talk a lot here at Garfield about seeking to be a Revelation 7-9 church where people of every language, ethnicity, every tongue and tribe and nation worship together. That gives us a sense of direction individually and as a a people of God, as, as God's church scattered in many house churches. 
because we have that sense of direction, then we can help bring the kingdom. We can be ambassadors to help bring the kingdom of God into being now. And to speak out against injustice, against abuse, about dishonesty in your workplace, you're going to lose something. But because you see a better kingdom, you're able to withstand those losses. I've known people who are in a job, it's a well-paying job, and but it's not satisfying their heart and they feel a sense of calling to somewhere else. They feel God might be saying, go! But they don't because they're afraid of losing the income, of losing the status. But if you can have that sense of direction, that ultimate sense of direction where you don't have to know what's happening immediately, where you're going immediately, but you know where you're going ultimately, you live differently. One of the people who did this Uh, You may have heard of Clarence Jordan. He's known for writing the Cotton Patch Gospels. He had had his life changed one time when he was hearing the Sermon on the Mount. And he decided to go to seminary and study Greek and, and theology. And out of that, and out of his understanding of that sense of direction of the kingdom of God in the Sermon on the Mount, he started something called Koinonia Farm in 1942 in a very segregated part of Georgia. And he gathered together people. It was multiracial in a time when that didn't happen at all. Because he had a vision. He, could, he knew that God intended for us to be together. And so he, they had a farm. They worked together. They lived in community. They shared what they had. But as you can imagine, in 1942 in Georgia well, probably anywhere in the country, they weren't welcome. And they faced a lot of harassment and worse. There were bullet holes in some of the buildings. And when, in 1954, the, the Klan came, and they burned down everything. And everything was gone except his house. And so Clarence Jordan was out in the field, and he was planting seeds, and he was hoeing. And everything, it was still burning. And a reporter came to see how he's doing. Well, probably not really to see how he's doing, but to get a story. And he said, you know, you've got two PhDs and you've had this farm for 14 years. What are you going to do, you know, now that it's clearly not a success? And Jordan said, you know, you don't understand us, Christian. It's not about success. It's about faithfulness. You heard in the words, by faith. By faith. And so when you go with a sense of direction and desire the better kingdom, then you're able to persevere. You're able to work against injustice. You'll be able to fight the hard fight. You'll be able to get through a pandemic. And you'll be able to persevere because as challenging as circumstances can be, like Paul, like Abraham, like Clarence Jordan, like so many of you, we need to keep our eyes on God, not on our circumstances. Come to him, the one who created us and the one who loves us. And so the last thing that Abraham really shows us is that he knows with who he was going with. He was going with God. It says so many times in this passage about faithfulness and that he followed, he followed God. He went. 
He knew that God was with him, and that's what mattered. He could go on this journey of uncertainty because he knew with whom he was journeying. He knew, considered God to be faithful who had promised. I've talked, if you've been around here a lot, about how I didn't become a Christian until my um, late 20s. And, um, but in those earlier years, I thought it was, you know, as long as you had a sincere belief in something, that was awesome. But what I didn't realize was, with no concern about the object of belief, the object of faith, it was simply faith and faith. Wow. Not faith in a living, breathing God in whom we live and move, as Pastor Chip said, and have our being. And so Abraham didn't talk about what he believed, but he looked to the one who had promised him, the one who was making these promises true, the one who had been with him in the season of Advent, where we look to the coming of Jesus in the manger to be God with us, Emmanuel. He knew that God was with him. You know, John Ortberg, a great writer, I, I love what he said about, the, he said, the greatest promise in the Bible is I will be with you. Yeah. I forgive, will forgive you is there. Come on. Come on, and I will make, so many other promises are there. But he says, I will be with you over and over again, for, even from the beginning. Yeah. When Adam and Eve are first created, they're in the garden and God was with them yeah. walking. The Bible says that God walked with Enoch. God was with so many in the Bible, with Mary and Joseph and with Paul, with Moses, with David. And so that's really the greatest promise that, that God gives. He says, do not be terrified, for I will be with you. In Psalm 23, it says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And then Jesus, after, when he's been resurrected and he's uh, ascending, he says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the, the promise that suffuses the Bible. And so even in whatever circumstances you are in right now, God is with you. Hear that. Because it's true. It's real. You can stand on that. And even to the end, God is with us. There's a passage in, in Genesis 15 where you, we see the hopeful promise that, that Abraham believed in, in God, and God underscores the point. He, he takes Abraham through this ritual. It's really kind of weird. You should read it. I didn't want to even talk about it because it would just get us all in another, another sort of helter-skelter crazy place. Um, but it was a ritual that was meant to help him see God's faithfulness. And God's promise to him. So after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And this is not the first time that he's made these promises. So God is so patient and faithful to us to reaffirm and reassure. So he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to count them, like throwing down the gauntlet. You just try, Abram. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. There was a little gem hidden inside our church at home manual from the, the beginning of the series. 
from 1 Thessalonians 5.24. It says, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this. So no matter where you are right now, he will do it. This is what Abraham knew, and this is what gave him the ability to, to wander and not know where he's going. And, but he had that, that, that sense of direction. But he also, he had no idea what sacrifice, what extent, what great lengths God would go to in order to um, show the world how much, how very much he loved them. How far he would go in sending his one and only son, Emmanuel, to save the world and to usher in that kingdom in a very tangible, tangible way. And so back at the beginning of the pandemic in March, when we went all virtual, it was very close to Easter. And so we had our first Holy Week completely online, just as we've had so many other wonderful worship experiences online. And we had Holy Week, that week leading up to Easter. And Good Friday, we, well, Monday, Thursday, where Jesus has the Last Supper and institutes what we call communion, which we'll celebrate in just a few minutes. Another way of experiencing God with us in a very tangible way. But so Good Friday is when Jesus is crucified and he cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not experiencing God with us right then. And then he goes to the tomb. And in the uh, Apostles' Creed, it says that he descended into hell. And this all happens before we get to the, the great celebration of Easter. And Jesus conquers our enemy of death, not by overcoming it, but by submitting to it. And if you can find this Jesus in the grave, if you can find this Jesus in hell, if you can find this Jesus in death, where can't you find him? Where will he not go? Where will he not turn up? Psalm 139 says, where, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The, light, the night will shine in the day for darkness as as light to you. You know, when I first became a Christian, I hated this. I hated the idea of God being with me every minute because he'd know all my business. I thought it was a terrible idea. But I've come to realize the power in that. That God is, is with us no matter what our circumstances are. That God's presence is so powerful even in these uncertain, unprecedented times. And so you may be wondering... Is God really with me? Maybe like on Antonius, you're feeling dejected. You're feeling emotionally worn down. Maybe you're sitting alone having kind of a meager meal. And your hope is dripping away, drip by drip. But if God, if Jesus Christ can be found in the grave, in the tomb, in death, where will he not turn up? Where will he not turn up? The one who calls us is faithful. And friends, he will do it. Yeah. 
go in that power.